everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. Uh, coming at you live here, I am your host, Gene Ross. Uh, joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Uh, unlike always, though, it is a it is a uh, bit of a surprising recap in this one, I would say, Josh. Uh, before we get into things, how are you doing overall? Um, Not good, Gene. Not good. I, uh, I feel like we're... Uh, attending a wake right now we're about to give uh some really sad speeches but it sucks man it it really 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 sucks and we'll kind of get into it it's not so much the the michigan aspect of things but you know because that's that's a bummer right but for somebody like myself i grew up around this um you know i played sports i'm obsessed with them i went to ohio state and I'm not going to go full on viral wrestling fan. It's real to me, damn it. Um, but you sort of you look forward to this all year. You plan three hours of your weekend around Ohio State football, and when you have a chance to kind of meet the ultimate goal, you know, I don't, I don't play on the team, I don't coach anything like that, but you expect to compete for a title every year, especially recently, and so. Now that's sort of taken away from you, and it's it's a bummer emotionally. Like I said, I'm not going to sit here and cry about it or anything like that, but it's uh, for something that you look forward to all year to be then kind of taken away, and you kind of think about the finality of it all. That's what makes it a real bummer to me, especially knowing what I thought that this Ohio State team was capable of. But now that you've kind of hear, heard my sad story, Gene, where are you at? Yeah, this is this is very much the uh, Ohio the 2021 Ohio State obituary. Uh, it was it was an odd game, you know. Ob- you know, obviously the Michigan comes away with a 42-27 win to break the Ohio State win streak in the in the rivalry. Um, a, a snowy game, a, a weird, you know, I wouldn't say weird game. It was Michigan really just just dominated this game. There's really no way around it. It wasn't like you know, uh, you know, something broke wrong and Ohio State blew it or something. Like Michigan was just the better team in this game. They were. I, I think the way that it happened was the most surprising to me, and just the fact that Michigan was so much more physical than Ohio State it, on on both sides of the ball. That they, they absolutely blew Ohio State away in the trenches on both sides, uh, and it, it was. You know, from how this Ohio State team was playing, it was it was really surprising. You know, we've seen, you know, I think we've seen the struggles of this Ohio State offensive line all year, and that we we knew that the four tackle system wasn't one that was going to provide much success. And I think we saw that come to fruition in this game. You know, obviously Aiden Hutchinson played out of his mind, and I think he is a really really good player, and he had a lot to do um, with with you know Michigan's ability to get pressure on defense. But then. You know, Michigan's offense versus Ohio State's defense. Ohio State's defensive line just got absolutely manhandled in this game. And, and that's something I didn't really expect. You know, if Michigan was going to win this game, I, I kind of expected it to be the way that they did it, where they, you know, they'd run the football a lot. They, they'd run, take time off the clock, keep Ohio State's offense off the field. And, you know, on, on defense, Ohio State, I mean, on offense, Ohio State would have to, you know, kind of shoot themselves in the foot multiple times, which I think they did in this game, even though there wasn't, you know, any turnovers to speak of. But, yeah, I, I think the way that it happened was the most surprising to me and just how much more physical Michigan was in Ohio State. I mean, this they, they literally came out in the second half and just ran the ball up the middle every single time, and Ohio State did nothing to stop it. And it, it, was, it was kind of shocking to see. Like, they just literally, I think they threw four second-half passes, but they scored on every drive they had in the second half. And it was just, it was wild, honestly. Like, they made, Ohio State made no adjustments. It looked like they just had no answers at all. They weren't strong enough. They weren't physical enough to get the job done. And that's, you know, that's why we have the outcome that we have. Yeah, I would never call Ohio State football players out as far as, um, you know, just strength, mental toughness um, and and things of that nature. 
but they have to be embarrassed. And especially when you look at a guy like uh, Haskell Garrett, you know, no one's going to doubt his toughness or his want to. I mean, he got shot in the face last year and uh, was nearly an All-American, was a preseason All-American this year. But you've got a lot of veteran leadership on that defensive line. You've got Haskell Garrett. You've got guys who have been around the program for a number of years, you know, Jerron Cage, Antoine Jackson, Zach Harrison, and they got beat up. They got punched in the mouth and it's like they couldn't get back up. I'm sure they wanted to, but they just got outplayed, out physicaled, out toughed, you name it. And yeah, I'm with you. That was surprising. Not not that Michigan won the game the way that they did, but like there was just, there was no answer. You kept waiting for Ohio state to get their defense, to get off the field or to stop the run up the middle. Like you said, it was, it was up the gut every single time, essentially without fail. And the defensive line, they just, they couldn't stop it. And that extends to the linebackers too. I mean, I know we'll, we'll kind of get into all the positions by position, but the linebackers, we knew that they were sort of a weakness all year and they had, they had improved, but at some point they were all inconsistent. Uh, Cody Simon for as great of an athlete as he is inconsistent. Steel Chambers was a revelation, still sort of inconsistent and still learning the position. Really Tommy Eichenberg run specialist did not, you know, could do very little in this game. And so it was just sad, man. Like it's, it's such a bummer. I keep coming back to that word because it it was like you were watching this, this train wreck and and there was nothing you could do to stop it. Like you just kept wanting to yell at the TV or whatever, like just, you know, stand up, play tougher, play, you know, do this and that and the other, and they couldn't do it. So credit to Michigan. They came out and they executed their game plan. Yeah, I thought it was gross that they attempted four or five passes in the second half. I mean, that's, gosh, that's, it's almost amazing, but it's not really, it's not that when you think about how successful they were running the ball. I think they averaged seven yards per carry for the game. Hassan Haskins is a good running back, um, but then to hear people talk about him as a dark horse Heisman candidate, no, I disagree. Um but he took it to Ohio State yesterday, five touchdowns. First time that a running back has ever scored five touchdowns against Ohio State in this rivalry. So, um, yeah, man, I, I'm starting to to get at a loss for words, but that's where I flip it back to you. And then we start going position by position and I just break down the disappointment across the board. Yeah, I definitely want to get into some specific, you know, player aspects here, and we're definitely going to talk about coaching probably at length here at some point. But I want to oh, just you talk, think? yeah, a little you bit, a little bit. Uh, I, I do want to talk just overall scheme first off. Um, it, it just I don't quite understand what Ohio State's watching on film going into some of these bigger games because now, like, you, you take the Alabama game last year where Ohio State's coming out in a four-four against a pass-heavy offense, and it just didn't make any sense. And now you have Ohio State going up against a run-heavy offense. It was pretty much only running the football, and Ohio State just stuck in their four-two-five and didn't even attempt to do anything different. Like throw, you know, even go to a four-three, throw an extra linebacker out there, stack the box. I don't like like Cade McNamara is is a solid quarterback, but he's not a guy that you're really 
worried about taking the top off your defense, throw an extra linebacker on the field. I just don't, you know, they, they were so stubborn in their ways. It's really the, the overall, like the last two years, Ohio State's faults have mainly just come down to stubbornness on this coaching staff. And it's, it's, it was wild to see. They just made like no, no, they did nothing to try to stop what Michigan was doing. They didn't stack the box. They didn't put an extra linebacker on the field. They didn't, you know, bring the safeties down to try to help out with the run game. They didn't do anything. They just sat there and, and expected these players that weren't making plays to, to switch, turn a switch and make a play. And it, it wasn't, you know, realistic to, to expect, and it just wasn't a good plan. And especially after, you know, you saw Michigan's game plan wasn't the first half. They didn't really change much in the second half. You could have, you know, you saw they wanted to run the football, and you could have came out and at least stacked the box a little bit more and tried to do some stuff to stop that interior run. And I know, you know, it, it's tough because we've said all year Ohio State's defensive tackles have played so well, and the defensive line as a whole has been so good in the ground game, but they clearly just weren't getting it done in this game against this Michigan offensive line, so they, they needed some help, and you, and you didn't throw it their way. Um, and I guess, you know, I think that's just, fear. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't, I, I have, we'll, we'll get to coaching in a little bit. I have, I have some thoughts about how the staff coaches in big games, but, uh, you know, just to transition to players first, I do think that, like, you know, as good as Cody Simon has played at times this year, I don't think he was their their best option against the run here. I thought Tommy Eichenberg played much better, and I thought he should have been in there more. And like you said, even though Steel Chambers, Steel Chambers was probably their best defensive player in this game, and he still played probably average at best. Like there was, I don't think anybody is safe in this game from from criticism. I, I think they all played pretty poorly. You know, Denzel Burke looked a lot like a freshman when they targeted him in this game, even though he's been so good. And I know he's dealing with a shoulder injury, but still, like, I just, I don't think any defensive player in this game played particularly well. Um, obviously, Bryson Shaw came up with a, a big pick early in this game, so I do got to give credit where credit is due. But, you know, even even he overall, I think he took some poor angles in the run game as, as he has all year. So I don't think it's, you know, I just, I don't think any defensive player played particularly well. And I think a lot of it is coaching and we will get to that. But yeah, it was, it was tough to see. Like Ohio State was like searching for someone, like you said, to searching for someone to make a play. And I, I just don't think any guy in this game was, was capable of doing it. And it seemed like, you know, as this game wore on, uh, and and Michigan just kept running it and running it and running it. It looked like that they were just kind of mentally defeated and they they didn't feel like they were capable of making a play. And that's that's how it wound up coming to fruition and how it how it ended. Yeah, I think it's been a theme throughout the season, especially when Ohio State's defense was struggling. Um, you can't name a guy on this defense. You you can't choose a guy who impacts the game the way that a Chase Young did, that a Bosa did, that, gosh, you could go back, a Ryan Shazier, um, Darren Lee, even the corners, you know, Jeff Okuda, pick a safety, Jordan Fuller. There is not one of those guys on this Ohio State defense currently. Um, I think Denzel Burke is a stud. I think he'll get better. I think the sky's the limit for JTT, maybe even Jack Sawyer, guys like that. There's a ton of talent, but there is not a guy who could step up when Ohio State really needed him the most. Um, you know, and, and if we're gonna if we're gonna get into it, let's take a flamethrower to it. The defensive line, I, I think that they fooled us. I think that they tricked us. They played really well against inferior competition, but when they needed the defensive line the most, they folded. Uh, Minnesota, they got run all over. Oregon, they got run all over. This game, they were run all over. I had to go back and really look at some stats. I did a deep dive before we jumped on here. Um, you know, so I'll start with a guy that I, I mentioned previously. I, I think he's one of the toughest dudes in the world. 
Um, I, I would not say, <clears throat> excuse me, I would not say this to his face, probably. Haskell Garrett, Garrett failed to live up to expectations this year. If you take away the Akron game, he was credited with 17 tackles and two and a half sacks. 17 tackles, two and a half sacks for your preseason All-American. Um, you know, he made a, a, some big plays here and there. And who knows? I think that there was probably something going on. I think that he was injured. It seemed like he was on the snap count most of the second half of the year. Last six games of the year, Haskell Garrett was credited with six tackles. That's it. So, yeah, you start with some of the other guys. You know, Zach Harrison was a projected first-round draft pick, and he might still be, maybe just based on potential. Maybe he's fooled some people as well. Three sacks all year. He's a local Columbus guy. I want him to be the biggest and baddest dude on the team, on the defensive line. I, I hope that he's great. He hasn't been. He's been very average. He had three sacks this year. So I, I, that was kind of disheartening to see. The defensive line, I thought they had sort of turned a corner, but I think it really just turned out to be the fact that this was all smoke and mirrors. We talked about it in our group yesterday. Smoke and mirrors was a common theme. Um, even the Michigan State game, sure, they held Kenneth Walker the third to 25 yards. He had six carries, and Michigan State had to start throwing the ball immediately because they're down a hundred points. This defensive line is really the unit that I was most disappointed in when they really, like I said, when they need them the most. And I hammered on them throughout the season and I kind of backed off of that a little bit. I thought that they had kind of figured some things out, but it starts there for me, especially on the defense, the defensive line like I said, they got punched in the mouth. They had no answers. They showed, in my opinion, a lack of toughness. Again, it's not something that I would probably say to these guys' face, um, but it, it starts with them. They they should be able to protect those inexperienced linebackers. We knew that our linebackers were going to be an issue. We knew that they were inexperienced outside of T. Mitchell. Um, there were going to be growing pains, and there were, but they, those guys got better. They were inconsistent and, and they didn't play well yesterday either, but that wasn't surprising. It was that this defensive line just got tossed around. They were beaten into submission by a Michigan offensive line. That's pretty darn good, but they were dominant yesterday. And so that's where it starts for me. I think the defensive line was just, they failed yesterday. Haskell Garrett went on social media after the game and he said they failed their mission. And I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that's where, I was most surprised, I guess, is that defensive line just failing to step up at all and protect the guys behind them. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing a tweet just now from PFF that they credited Aiden Hutchinson with 15 quarterback pressures, which is the most they've ever recorded since they started tracking the stat. And I would I would certainly believe it. It felt like he had a quite an impact on the game. And he's like, you know, you're talking about Ohio State not having uh, Chase Young or Bosa. That's that's everything Aiden Hutchinson was in this game for Michigan. He was he was a game yep. wrecker. He had a huge impact off the edge for for Michigan. He forced CJ Stroud into a lot of rushed passes, and he forced Ohio State to kind of you know move their offense around. And that's kind of what Ohio State was looking for from their defensive line. And they just didn't have that guy this year. Like you said, these guys, you know, a lot of hype around all of them. I do think that Haskell Garrett was at least a little banged up, and they just weren't saying anything because, like you said, he I did think seem it, I think so too. He did seem like he was on a snap count for pretty much the entire year. Um, you know, there's some games where he wasn't even in as the, the true starter, even though he would wind up playing the most snaps. But 
nonetheless, like, you know, Zach Harris and Tyreek Smith both showed games where they were incredible, but then, you know, the other 80% of the games, they they did mostly nothing. And I just, I don't really understand it. I don't know, you know, I don't know what to really do there. I, you know, I feel like the guys that were out there are are good. They just weren't getting the job done. And maybe they're, you know, maybe they aren't as good as we thought, but, you know. Yeah, the like scheme it, thing, Gene, you brought that up and I kind of, I skipped over it. And that's, that's on me. Um you're right. Like these big games, and I know we'll get more into coaching, but just this Michigan game, you're right. To stay in that 4-2-5, knowing that Cade McNamara is not going to take the top off of your defense, especially in that weather, which I think was a a real factor. We talked about it before the pod. I think that yeah, I'm going to come across as the excuses guy and the homer, and that's fine. I'll wear it. To play in 30 degrees and snow, it's a disadvantage. It was a huge disadvantage for Ohio State. They gave up 42. I felt like they could have scored 52, but it's a disadvantage for Michigan. It would be a disadvantage for you know Cincinnati if they had to play in that sort of weather. It just sucks. But you know we'll, we'll kind of throw that out the window. The scheme was never adjusted, and I, I said something earlier when you first brought it up. I think that it's it's either fear. It's a lack of faith in the guys to change it up. Or maybe some of the guys on this team, they don't have the ability to adapt and react the way that we want them to. And that that goes to recruiting and coaching and all of that. But if you're unwilling or incapable incapable of making any adjustments, then, you know, that speaks to everything across the board, you know, if you try it and guys fail, you know, it's on the players, right? Um, if you don't try it, I think it's more of a coaching thing, but yeah, I mean, I would have put nine in the box yesterday. I don't care. Try anything, especially when they are punching you in the mouth repeatedly, load the middle, leave your corners on an Island, go, you know, go back to the single high, bring a safety up, do anything. And you're right. It's like the Alabama game last year. They just, they didn't adjust. And the, the fact that they didn't adjust at all with a different individual calling the plays almost makes me think that they just they lacked the faith in the players on defense to be able to adapt and change their mindset and change their game. And if that's the you know, if that's the case, then that's scary because those guys, most of them are coming back next year. And if they can't figure out how to kind of flip the switch and play a different style of defense against a different opponent, then you got all the wrong guys on the roster. Yeah, I, you know, I, I said all year that I think it's kind of odd that Ohio State's best defensive players seem like the ones that have taken the least instruction from this coaching staff. And I, I still think that's true. And I think we'll, we'll get to that in a, in a bit. But yeah, I mean, like, like we said, Ohio State really didn't have a guy in this game that they, they trusted to step up. I mean, they, they finished this game with you know, if you look at the stats, just combined defense versus defense. I mean, Michigan had eight tackles for loss. Ohio State had zero. Um, you know, I, I I lost the stat. There was someone on Twitter put it the the hurries, but Michigan had like a ton, and I think Ohio State was credited with one. If that, I don't know if they even had zero, but I mean, they just had no pressure all day, whether it was in the run game or the few times Michigan dropped back to pass. Um, yeah, overall, the defense just played really really poorly and they just got out muscled the entire way the linebackers didn't play well the secondary was you know the secondary didn't really have to do much because they weren't passing but you know even in times they were called on they didn't really do a a fantastic job um on offense the the offensive line was terrible um 
I think the four tackles was was a failure from the start. I think that we saw, you know, their shortcomings in the run game, and I think that really hurt Ohio State in this game especially. Um, and then in pass protection for really the first time all year, they they started to break down as this game wore on. And I think more and more as the game, as the game went into the the third and fourth quarter, those guys were just they were just tired and they were just getting outworked by those Michigan defensive ends. You know, like we said, Aiden Hutchinson played tremendously. Uh, David Ojabo played really well as well. Both guys that we kind of highlighted going into this game as, as potential. Good guys off the edge for Michigan, and they they played up to their they probably played their both of their best games of the year in this one, and they they needed to. Um, but on offense overall, I mean, we'll we'll get to play calling, I guess, in a bit. But player wise, I thought C.J. Stroud played well, all things considered. I mean, he was he was running around all game trying to trying to make plays, and he wound up throwing for nearly four hundred yards and two touchdowns. Um, you know, he he finally, ironically, he finally ran for a touchdown in this game. Both we were asking him to do all year, and it got called back for holding. Uh, that's another thing with the offensive line. The amount of penalties they took in this game was just egregious. The amount of false starts and holdings and just everything you could imagine. They they Ohio State constantly shot themselves in the foot this game. And, and like you said, maybe this you know this defense was going to let up forty two regardless to Michigan because of how they were playing. But if the if the offense had cleaned some things up and you know, even been average at pass blocking, cut down on the penalties. You know, there's no reason Ohio State couldn't have scored, you know, 40, 48 or 50, you know. So I, it, it, was, it was really tough because, like, we knew the defense was, was shaky. And, and, you know, even with how bad they played, I thought that Ohio State still would have had a chance if the offense was clicking and it just wasn't. Um, but, you know, and to, before we get to, like, you know, the, the play calling reasons for that, you know, personnel-wise, you know, Ohio State struggled to run the ball again, as they have really all year. Um, the running up the middle was was simply not an option. The, the interior offensive line that was made up of of two tackles and a and a center that probably wasn't the, the best option for a center. Um, it was wasn't getting the job done even remotely. There was nowhere to go for Henderson or Mayan Williams. Uh, the receivers all played well. You know, uh, Smith and Jigba and Wilson both finished with over 100 yards. Garrett Wilson made a ridiculous touchdown catch early in that game. Um, Chris Olave has, has had his problem with drops this year. He had that one in the end zone early in the game. And, uh, also Jack Smith and Jigba dropped one early in the game on a kind of a big, you know, would have been a big passing play, but I, and I don't know how much of the weather comes into effect there or whatnot, but I thought overall the receivers played pretty well. You know, they, they were open for most of the game as they usually are. Uh, it was just kind of tough for CJ Stroud to find them sometimes when he was getting bared down on by Aiden Hutchinson and the rest of the, the Michigan front. Yeah, I think CJ Stroud played really well. Um, especially given the weather, right? I, I mentioned it, 30 and snow showers, that's a disadvantage. That's not easy to play in. But the Olave drop, I, I think, was half drop, half throw uh, behind him. Uh, so Stroud missed that. He missed a throw to Jeremy Ruckert in the second half for what would have been an easy touchdown. But if I'm not mistaken, they scored on that drive. So you kind of wipe that one away. I think C.J. Stroud did play really well. I think that he showed a lot of poise, especially given the fact that he was under constant pressure. I think that when he was able to, uh, he stepped up really well in the pocket and found some guys. I think where he was limited and where the Ohio State defense or offense was limited as a whole. And again, I'm going to, I'm going to hit this weather thing until people are sick of hearing about it. They had some longer pass plays. Uh, you look at some of the receptions by different guys. Smith and Jigba had a catch for 26 yards. Garrett Wilson had a 25-yard touchdown. Olave had a 39-yarder. Travion Henderson had a 25-yarder. But there was some yak there, and it, it didn't seem like Ohio State was able to take some of the downfield shots 
that we're used to seeing. The deep post, right? The deep post is Ohio State's version of the Alabama slant. Like it's, you're going to hit it a couple times a game for a touchdown, it seems like. That wasn't really available to them. And I think that some of that was due to the weather. Some of it was due to the fact that Stroud wasn't going to have consistent time. But I think if he was your Heisman favorite before the game, he did nothing to fall back in the race. I know that people are going to talk about Bryce Young's drive that he had. I don't think enough people are going to talk about the fact that he was shut out for 59 minutes. You know, so yeah. The problem with the Heisman Award is that they kind of, they they seems like it dings you for team performance, and you know, yeah. Bryce Young's team won, and uh, CJ Stroud's team didn't. Not nothing to you know his own fault, but uh, I do think that will ding him there. We'll see how it how it plays out. I mean, Bryce Young probably put up. I didn't look at his numbers after that game, but like you said, they didn't score for the first fifty nine minutes of that game. I'm sure he wound up putting up gaudy numbers by the end of it. But I mean, if it was true voting, I think Stroud would probably be the, still the better option. But I don't know if that's going to be the case at this point. I did want to um. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the, the their their lack of deep passes was both, um, like you said, a little bit of weather. But I think it was more so that they were just they didn't think that Stroud was going to have the type of time that, to make those plays like he would, you know, in a normal yeah. game. I think the offensive line was breaking down, and they saw that, and they, you know, they weren't comfortable calling those plays and putting him in danger when they were, you know, it was clear that the offensive line wasn't going to be able to hold up long enough. I also forgot to mention Jack Smith and Jigba's ridiculous catch. On, I believe it was like yeah. a third and nineteen. He like caught it with it was he caught it with like one hand around the defender. That kid is gonna be really special. I'm excited to see what well, he does. All the guys, all three of them had a great catch. Olave had one that was kind of similar, um, a contested one. You're right. JSN is gonna be he's gonna be the next guy. He's going to be just as good, if not better, probably than a Chris Olave and a Garrett Wilson. I, I don't think you could have asked much more from those guys. Yeah, the Olave had a, a quasi drop, but I think I, I think they did a good job of getting open. You know, uh, CJ Stroud was still thirty four for forty for forty nine. Uh, he had a couple throwaways and things like that. So those guys were doing their job. We, we've talked about the offensive line. I know you've been really kind of pounding uh, the rock on that one. I think I've sort of defended the offensive line. I've been the guy that's like, yeah, Gene, but the pass protection is so good and we can live with some of the struggles in the run game. I will admit that this offensive line fooled me just like the defensive line did. I think that they looked better against inferior competition, but when they faced a real pass rush, they failed the four tackle alignment couldn't handle the pressure yesterday. And Dewan Jones, three false starts, uh, Nicholas Petit Friere had two holding penalties, if I'm not mistaken. Thayer Munford had a hold or a false start. They played their worst game of the season at the worst possible time. And Michigan's defensive line was better. That's, that's why Aiden Hutchinson is going to be a top five, top 10 NFL draft pick. And the guys along Ohio State's offensive line are not. Um, I think Thayer Munford. I think he did an unselfish thing by uh, transitioning into guard. And I think at times he played well as a guard. I think if you look at it as a whole, that was the wrong move. Thayer Munford was a really, really good tackle. And maybe he would have been beaten up yesterday too. I think he moved outside at one point and Aiden Hutchinson bull rushed him into oblivion 
Oh, yeah, uh, that, I know that, you... that video's on Twitter. He got he got mauled. I mean, I, I think I, I think early, I don't know if he was out for the rest of the game, but I know Dewan Jones at one point got hurt in this game, and then Thayer Munford yeah, wound up moving outside. Um, it it didn't help. Uh, yeah, and granted, <laughs> sure, Aiden Hutchinson had a running head start, but he buried Thayer Munford six feet deep, um, kind of like he did Ohio State season as a whole. But hindsight's always 2020, but I think if Ohio state had to do it over again, I think that maybe who knows Paris Johnson jr. Had his struggles, but maybe they would have kept him at guard and kept their Mumford out at tackle. Who knows? They're going to have months to figure out the next iteration of this offensive line. But yeah, to have a guy like Travion Henderson on your team and struggle to run the ball at times, I think a lot of that is on the offensive line, but some of it's on the coaching too. I know we'll talk about the uh, the zone run. I know you you're itching to get there, but gosh, it, you know it's the definition of insanity, right? You keep trying the same thing over and over again, and it yields the same results. I, I just felt like they all year. It seems like they were like, yeah, if we pound the rock up the middle enough, we're eventually going to break through the wall. And it's like you've got a guy who's a four three four four unicorn at running back get him outside and they just refuse to do so so um that sucked you know especially for some of those older guys and this is a a theme for the entire team for those older guys like a Thayer Munford like a Haskell Garrett you know this is this was an opportunity to go undefeated against your rival it was an opportunity to get to potentially another college football playoff. Chris Olave is another guy like it, it got taken away from them, but it wasn't a fluke. They only have themselves to blame and maybe they can blame their coaches too, but this wasn't a fluke. You didn't, there wasn't a bad call that went against you like a couple of years ago with the T Higgins fumble. That was a fumble, right? Um, you got beat. You got beat up in a street fight and you lacked the toughness as much as it sucks to say um, to get up off the canvas and fight back. And, you know, the the effort was there. They scored that late touchdown. I don't feel like they ever gave up, but I do think at some point, especially along the interior, uh, I think that they, they knew they were defeated at some point. Yeah. I don't know if the players gave up, but I, I think the coaches at some point certainly did. And I think as we kind of, Wrap up the the offense here. I think it's a good way to transition, uh, you know, just kind of flipping from players to, to more scheme stuff and then, then coaching decisions. What happened to all the pre-snap motion that Ohio State was running against Purdue and Michigan State that worked so well and was unstoppable? Where did that all go? They, the Ryan Day came into this game and just threw that all out the window. We saw none of that. We didn't see a single Garrett Wilson jet sweep. You know, it seemed like every time Ohio State wanted to swing it out to Trayvon Henderson, he was wide open. I just, it was so frustrating to watch that Ohio State these last two weeks had this unstoppable offense they're running, and it was all seemingly stemming from that pre-snap motion, and it even it was even helping out their run game a bit. And they just they got rid of all of it against against Michigan, and they just went so vanilla in their offense. And it was I, I don't I don't understand like what did Michigan do that would have stopped that? Like if anything, it would have kind of maybe had them back up on the pass rush a little bit because they would have had to worry about some of these guys going outside with the ball. And I just I, I didn't really understand it. I would have liked to see more screen passes and stuff like that you know every time they did it like especially to Trey it, it seems like it worked um the inside run was was certainly not working and I I know we I know there's a specific play that we will get to in a minute that was a specifically infuriating and kind of a microcosm of how this entire game was called but 
Yeah, at, at the end of the day, I just don't. I they on both sides of the ball, they just went so vanilla, and they didn't change anything. They they scrapped all the their fun pre snap motion that worked out so well the last couple of weeks on offense and on defense. They stuck in a four two five, and they didn't do anything to stop against the run. So overall, the coaching of this game was was terrible. I would say I don't like Ryan Day had his worst game as a play caller by far as, as Ohio State's head coach. But I think you know both sides of the ball just scheme wise, I thought both, it was just awful. Like I don't know how you. You know, they they claim they game plan for this game 365 days a year. It looked like they didn't watch a single day of film. I don't I don't understand how they came into this game with the game plan they had and and what they brought out there was not. You know, it, you know they they have good players on the field. They they did not use them in any sort of meaningful way that would have brought this game to be a win. Yeah, it was confusing, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, they lacked motion. They lacked creativity, in my opinion. I think that. You know, if you know the run game's not working well, I think they could have passed the ball even more, even though Ryan Day was like, yeah, 49 pass attempts is too many in a, in a game like this. I don't think so. Very annoying quote. The, Very annoying quote. Yeah, not with the offensive line playing the way it was. I think he could have thrown the ball 59 times, 69 times. I don't care um, because it couldn't be stopped. So it was confusing. But I'll say this. I mean... As a play caller and as a coach and in all of those things, Ryan Day has had some questionable play calls, decision making. Um, it took me a second, but I know which play you're going to talk about eventually. But I don't know, man. Like, I think there's got to be a method to his madness. He He comes across as this offensive genius. And I think that he is. You talk to or you kind of, we don't talk to them, but we read about coaches and scouts and everything at the college level, at the NFL level, everyone, you know, unanimously respects this guy um, as an offensive play caller and as an offensive coach. And I, I think they do as a head coach as well, but there's gotta be a method to his madness. I just, I don't understand some of the calls and I think it's fair to question those, but when you put up 50 points a game and you make your team look unstoppable at times. Gosh, like I, I think we can absolutely call out some of the frustrations and the the bad play calls, but I think he hits 95% of the time. It's just when you're playing against a Michigan team that wants it more, essentially, and is playing better than you are, you can't have that 5% margin for error. I think you can have it against other teams. And, you know, uh, we, we saw it. He, he had some questionable play calling throughout the duration of the season. They still put up 40 or 50 points a week. No problem. You don't have the margin for error in this weather against this team. So I, I'm with you. I, I can't argue against some of the, the decision-making and the play calls, but I just feel more comfortable living with the 90 to 95% hit rate. Yeah, I don't remember who tweeted. I think it was friend of the program, Colton Denning. Uh, they tweeted that, you know, Ryan Day has a little bit of Urban Meyer in him when, you know, he, he goes into a big game and says, oh, this game's going to be hard, so I'm going to coach like it. And that, it seems like in some of these big games, yeah. he just he, he coaches so vanilla and he's so afraid to kind of make a mistake and he's also so afraid of the other team countering his good plays that he like pre-counters the good plays and it it ruins what they're doing and I don't it's really frustrating to watch it seems like he you know when a play is working he goes away from it so the other team doesn't 
change what they're doing to try to stop it, but the other team hasn't yet proved that they're going to stop it. And, you know, Michigan did the exact opposite. They said, we're going to run the ball until Ohio State proves they could stop it, and we didn't do anything to stop it. You know, Ohio State could have probably thrown the ball around the yard all day, and Michigan wouldn't have had much of an answer. But, you know, the second it worked, it's like, all right, well, now we got to go back to run the ball because they're going to they're gonna adjust to that. But you got to you gotta make these teams prove that they could adjust to it. And when you have three future NFL first-round wide receivers out there, I don't think there's much that they could do to adjust to it. And, the, you know, the play that I'm obviously talking about here specifically was the third down run with Mayan Williams up the middle in the red zone. What the yeah. hell are you doing, man? Uh, what do you like? You, the run game wasn't working all day. It's I no, think it was Gene, a third so, nine, or whatever it was. So it was I got to jump in. That's actually not the play I thought you were going to bring up. Well, that just I was going to bring up bad plays. I was going to bring up. I think it was a second in like fifteen after they had taken a loss on second and fifteen. They ran a sweep with Mayan Williams. Yeah, that was that was equally you as remember bad. That I was, one? Yeah, oh yeah, oh I remember it. I it's just and like yeah like if you're running outside why are you running Mayan Williams first of all Mayan Williams is clearly your between the tackles guy and Trayvon Henderson is your your speed and space guy but you know at the end of the day like there there was also a red zone series where I think they ran three times in a row uh, and it's just like you have these these incredible wide receivers why are you doing the things you're doing why are you handcuffing yourself so mightily uh, against a team that's doing so well especially up the middle and with their front seven you're not gonna be able to run the ball up the middle for you know eight nine yards Ohio State in this game you know they average like I you know they they average two point one yards per per carry that's that's including C J Stroud's sack yardage they I mean but even still they in the between Trey and Mayan I think they average between like three yards and so it you know. If you're in a big spot, you're in a third and five, third and long. Why are you running the football? Why are you like you're trying so hard to to outthink like what Michigan might do to outthink you? And and you're just you're you're beating yourself. You're outthinking yourself. And I think Ryan Day has had a tendency to do that in some of these bigger games. I, I think that you know, I, I don't know if it was as much. I don't think play calling was the issue in Oregon. I think a lot of the issues against Oregon was um, kind of like what we saw today against Michigan, a team that you know knew Ohio State's weaknesses and they they really played into them. Um, but, you know, last year against Alabama, it really felt like he quit in the second half in that game. He didn't really make much of an effort to come back because he felt like his team was overmatched. And in this game, I don't think the play calling really gave this team much of a shot to, to score points because I think that they could have they could have passed it more. I know, like, his quote after the game that they passed too much, I mean, that clearly wasn't the issue in this game. Like, that wasn't why they lost this game because he just dropped through 49 passes. They lost the game because they couldn't run and they kept trying to do it, and they lost the game because their defense had no answer for the Michigan run game. I, I just... I don't understand it. I don't know. Like it, it is kind of frustrating. I think, like you said, I think Ryan Day is good ninety percent of the time. But I do have a lot of questions about his play calling in some of these bigger games. And you know, it's it's, it's tough a- to be the head coach and call the plays. And you know, not not a ton of people across the country do it. That's why you have an offensive coordinator. And I don't think I don't think Kevin Wilson really actually does anything on this offense. I think it's all Ryan Day just handling the offense. But yeah, I mean, we've seen what this offense could do. We've seen the creativity he has in his bag. It just seems like he's so unwilling to try things against a good opponent. It's almost like, and I don't know why I started thinking about this. Maybe it's because the NFL kicks off in a half an hour from when we're recording, but it's almost like I look at Sean McVay, the Rams coach, right? He was this offense. He is this offensive genius, but he had so much faith in his system and his play calling that he had, you know, confidence and faith in Jared Goff to carry it out. And up to a point, it worked. And then he was like, oh, man, Jared Goff's not very good. And so he went out and he upgraded, right? He got rid of Jared Goff. He brought in Matt Stafford. It's like Ryan Day. I think maybe he's going to figure out, hey, maybe my offensive line isn't good enough or it wasn't good enough. My play calls, they work 
if you guys go out and execute. Maybe this is a sort of a wake up call to him. But um, yeah, I, I think he has. I think he has so much faith in his team and maybe it's, uh, you know, not well placed that, you know, he's like this own run, it's going to work. We just have to figure it out. And they never figured it out and it ended up costing them, especially in the run game. But, um, you know, let's get into some of the other guys, especially on that side of the ball. You mentioned Kevin Wilson. Uh, I read this morning, he might be a candidate for the Akron head coaching job. If he goes, um, good for him. I, oh, no. I think Kevin Wilson will miss him so much. <laughs> I think he's been a fine addition. You know, Ryan day does count on him. You know, he's a, uh, he's a peer that he goes to, but you're right. You know, this is a Ryan day offense coach stud, man. Like goodbye. Like that, you know, like that's, that's kind of what you were just talking about. Like a lot of what Ryan day's system relies on is the, the ability to pass block for a good amount of time. Cause it's a lot of, you know, long developing pass plays. Um, and when your offensive line stinks, you can't do that. And, you know, Greg Stujawa, uh, is, is kind of an Urban Meyer leftover. Uh, he wasn't a guy that Ryan Day hired. Um, he hasn't done a great job in recruiting, and while he's landed five stars, it's mostly been guys in his own backyard that were going to go to Ohio State, whether he was recruiting them or I was recruiting them to Columbus. Um, and the offensive line, you know, the last couple of years, it's felt like every year we go into the season saying, oh, Ohio State's offensive line is going to be one of the best in the country this year, and, and they never quite live up to that expectation. And I think it's... Um, you know, I don't think yeah. he's number one on my list to replace, but he is certainly a guy that um, if Ryan Day really wants to do what he's doing and, and do the, like the long developing pass plays like he wants, he needs a good offensive line. He needs a good offensive line coach. And I think it's time to maybe uh, to maybe cl- there's going to be some clean house. I think this is a very important offseason overall for Ryan Day and in, in deciding what he wants to be as a head coach and what he wants his team to look like. And I think that a lot of that is going to start with his staff and some coaching changes. And I think on the offensive side, if you're going to look at anyone, I think Stu is the one that could be replaced here this offseason. Yeah, I think he's been fine. I don't think fine is nearly good enough for a team like Ohio State, for a program like Ohio State. I look at some of the failures, right? Um, Paris Johnson is you know, now going to be next year will be his third year in the program. He was one of those unicorn all time recruits and he was played off the field. Um, the Thayer Munford experiment, whether that was pushed for by Thayer or not. He, like I said, he earlier, he played well, but the, I think he was sort of exposed as a guard or his counterparts were exposed as tackles especially in this game. And there's a, there are a number of other failures. I think that, you know, the offensive line, he's brought in some talent. They've played really well at times, but I don't think they've been consistent enough. And I think that the running game has struggled as a result of that. So the thing that's funny about Sadrawa is that he only, he's only able to land guards, but he's only able to develop tackles. So that that's an interesting interesting way of doing business. Like he did go out, you know, last year and get five star Donovan Jackson from Texas, but yeah. you know you see all the tackles they miss out on. You know, namely, you know, J.C. Latham, Keonta Goodwin are, are guys that come to line. Zach Rice recently, even though I don't think he was really at Ohio State in the true running, but but guys that they were certainly in on that they lost, especially you know these five star national tackles. They they don't land. They get the in state guys, but they don't land them. And then somehow they land, you know, they land some of the national guard talent but then they don't develop it and the guards never seem to really do all that much. And, and, you know, from the interior of the offensive line, 
for how this this Ohio State offense wants to run is super important. And they're not, you know, he's not developing those guys as well as the tackles are being developed. So it's a weird, weird thing to see that they seem to be getting the guard talent but not doing anything with it. Whereas they're only getting the in-state tackle talent, but then they're making guys like, you know, NPF and Dewan Jones. You know, Dewan Jones was like a barely ranked recruit, and he played pretty well this year overall. And that's a guy that they, they were able to develop. But it seems like the interior of the offensive line is where they really struggle to get to, to make guys better as their Ohio State career goes on. And you, you mentioned Paris Johnson. I think Paris Johnson will be fine. You know, he was one of those guys that's a tackle he playing. Too. He's a tackle playing guard. I think he'll move back outside next year and be, be totally fine. But... Yeah, it's odd to see. It's a, it's a weird it's a weird dynamic there that he only recruits guards and only develops tackles. Yeah, and then you you look at the rest of the guys. I think Tony Alford is a really good running backs coach. He's developed some guys. He gets the most out of them. Um, he's he's a, a fine recruiter too. We know how good Brian Hartline is. We know how big of an asset he is to the program. You could go on and on and on. I think they need to tweak some things on offense and that side of the ball, whether it's staff or or whatever. Other side is it, of the ball. Is it a hot take to say that Brian Hartline is the least fire, least fireable head coach, least fireable coach on the staff, including the head coach? Um, I think Brian Hartline's a, value to Ohio State is is almost as high as Ryan Day's, if not right there. I think they're tied right now. I, I, for me, the sky is not falling. The I'm shine not, I'm not asking not... to fire Ryan Day. I'm just saying I think that what yeah. Brian Hartline brings to the team is is almost equally as valuable as what Ryan Day is doing right now. Yeah, I, I can't really argue with you. I, I think that he is arguably, if not officially, the best recruiter in the country. And I think the fact that he you know, bleeds scarlet and gray and, and all of that good stuff. Yeah, I, I think he's right up there. Now, other side of the ball. Gene, are we? Do you want any of these coaches back? <laughs> Where are you at um, on that one? I will consider keeping Larry Johnson, and it's only for really. I think it's mostly based on prestige. I think he's done. You know, I, I think he deserves a ton of credit for what he's been able to do at Ohio State. All the guys he's brought through here, all the guys he sent to the league. But you know, the last couple of years now, we've seen Ohio State's defensive line really not look that good. And I don't know if he's you know getting to the end of his rope here or whatever. But, you know, I, I will I will be willing to keep Larry Johnson because I like him. He's a good dude, and he's done a lot for, for the, the team, and he's still, he see, still seems to be recruiting pretty well. So all things considered, I think he's fine. Every single other coach on the defensive side of the ball could take a hike. Um, <laughs> Al Washington, I think, is, is enemy number one here. Uh, he's been, he's been lauded as a great recruiter. I'm not really seeing it outside the in-state dudes. Like CJ Hicks is another dude that, you know, I could have recruited to Columbus. He was going there. If, even if they didn't have a coaching staff, um, yeah, Gabe powers, uh, Reed Carrico, he's getting all the in-state linebackers. Congrats. Like these dudes already grew up rooting for Ohio state. They're going to go there regardless. Hasn't recruited very well. Ohio state's linebackers have been terrible now for like four years. Uh, or not four years, but as long as he's been there, they've been terrible. I'm sick of him. See you later. He should have took the Tennessee job. Uh, Matt Barnes turns out didn't fix the defense. Um, not the best defensive backs coach. It would appear gone. Uh, Kerry Combs. I'm fine with if he wants to just coach defensive backs. Cause he seems to be really good at it and he's really good at recruiting them. Um, so if he's willing to take a step down, which I don't know if he would be, um, I'd be fine with him there, but he's not a defensive coordinator. And if he wants to do that, then you got to tell him to take a hike as well. Uh, I don't even know who else is out there. They all suck. Um, I'm done with this entire defensive coaching staff. They, I don't know. You know, clearly Ryan Day didn't see enough uh, after getting blown out by Alabama to replace some of these defensive guys, but hopefully losing to your rival uh, by what felt like a million, even though the final score didn't reflect like it. Maybe this will finally be the eye-opening move he needs to 
to get rid of some of these guys. And I know that Ryan Day is is a nice dude and he's friendly with a lot of these guys and he's going to have to make some tough decisions. But that that's what comes with the territory of being the head coach at Ohio State. You have to be ruthless. Look at what Nick Saban does every year in, in turning over his coaching staff. You have to be able to go out and get some some good real coaches, like real guys, not just guys you're friends with, guys that are actually good at their job. You know, even if you want to go out, like say like a Gary Patterson, right? If you want to get him as a defensive coordinator who just got fired from TCU, you know, he's a guy who's who's coached defense in the past. You need a guy, especially starting a defensive coordinator. Bring you, coach O. Yeah, honestly, Bring like coach o. like you need guys that have coached defense before and know how to actually coach a defense. And also Ryan Day has to not meddle in the defense. I know he likes to kind of instill his scheme on that side of the ball as well. Ryan Day needs to know where his bread is buttered. He's an offensive guy. He's the quarterback's guy. Stay on your side of the ball. Let your defensive coaches handle it, and you have to get defensive coaches that you trust to handle it and not just run what you're telling them to run. They need to be able to run a real defense. They clearly have the talent to do things. like It's crazy that Ohio State has all the talent they have on that side of the ball, and their defense has been this bad for this long. You get real coaches on that side of the ball. I, I think, like I said, I think the only the only person I'd consider keeping is Larry Johnson and then Kerry Combs if he wants to just coach defensive backs. Other than that, everyone could go. Um, and that, yeah, that's really that's really all my my piece on the matter. I don't really I have no affiliation to these dudes. I don't care. They're all making millions of dollars to pay badly coach defense, and you could get them out of here. Yeah, you know, I I think that some of that's hyperbole, right? You and I are on the same page. You never no, want to see no anyone hyperbole. lose their job. I fully believe it. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, you never want to see somebody, I, I think, kind of like lose their job and it, it's a difficult job. Right. And some know, of these I guys, have, I have no remorse for guys making millions of dollars. Like it's, they'll get a job somewhere right. else. Probably like I'm, I really don't feel bad. Like I feel bad. Like I'm not going to tell a player to take a hike. Cause like these kids, these are their kids. They're not, they're not making any money. They're just college kids. Like at the end of the day, I'm not going to like ever tell a player he needs to transfer or whatever, but I'm fine telling coaches they need to leave. Cause it's, they're grown adults. They've made millions that they're doing a poor job. Like I will do their job for half the money. And that's very fair, right? It comes with the territory. Expectations come with the territory and this defensive staff has failed to meet expectations um, in, in glorious fashion sometimes. And it's not just a I one think, game or a one year thing. It's been a couple of years now. Yeah, that's the way that they ha- that Ohio State has lost some of these big games. I think that has to force Ryan Day's hand. And I think that it will, you know, Alabama, their, their offense last year was historically good. You look at the guys they've now got in the NFL, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, um, Jalen Waddle, even though he was like quasi decoy against them last year. But that was a track meet. Like that was one of the poorest defenses, perform- poorest defensive performances I had really ever seen from an Ohio State team. And then this year, I kind of threw the the Oregon game out the window, even the Mich- the Minnesota game a little bit. It was early on, a lot of new guys, this, that, and the other. Um, but then to get the ball just jammed down your throat by your rival with a, a chance to go to the Big Ten championship game and the college football playoff on the line, your two biggest losses have occurred during the last two seasons and they have been there's just there's no justification you you can't kind of shoo it away and be like oh it was such a fluke like you got destroyed and you got out coached and you got outplayed but I think the coaching 
was more of the issue. And I think that everyone sort of agrees with that. So I'm with you. They need to go and find a guy who has done this before and done it at a high level. I think that the Kerry Combs decision was, I I think it was something that people were sort of on board with, I guess, at the very beginning, just because of what he had done for the program. He had spent some time in the NFL. You're like, oh, great. Um, It was a bad move. And I think that some of the coaching hires have been failures as well. You know, Al Washington seems like a great recruiter. You know, I see him on like Ohio State's, you know, own website and social media and stuff like that. Like he gives a great speech. He has me ready to run through a wall. But these linebackers have been atrocious under him, period. Going back however many years you want. You can say Pete Werner, I guess, improved. But other than that, I'm not seeing a whole lot from these linebackers. And it's been years now. They need to bring in or they need to find a fickle, a D'Antonio. Like it's they need to find somebody who can be almost not Ryan Day's equal, but damn close. You know, you look at you look at Clemson. Look, I know they we hate Clemson. They had their struggles this year. They lost three games. Brett Venables, though, is year in and year out, one of the best defensive coordinators there is. And he is almost synonymous with Clemson. And I don't think Dabo Swinney cares, even though he's got a huge ego. I think that that is such a huge asset to him. I don't think Ryan Day would care if he brought in, I was just joking about Ed Orgeron, but somebody, you know, if he had gone out and gotten Dave Aranda, who's now the head coach at Baylor, that guy, everyone wanted that guy. And if if Ryan Day had been able to go out and get him, I, I think he would be fine with that. It sucks to have turnover year in, year out. But if you're making the right hires and winning championships, there's going to be attrition. <laughs> no, no one's going out after these Ohio State defensive coaches after this year. Um, you know, they'll all land somewhere, I'm sure, but nobody's knocking down their door like, hey, come be the head coach at our program. Come be my defensive coordinator because things went so well for you this year. I think that Ryan Day does need to take a hard look at that side of the ball and that coaching staff. And I think that he will. I think that Ryan Day is a proud dude. I think he does want to win more than anything. You know, he he is very much in that urban Meyer kind of mindset where like it's win or nothing. And I I think that Ryan day is an aggressive guy. I think he's super passionate. I think he wants to win a hundred titles here at Ohio state. If he can, I really believe that. So I think as a result of these last two seasons, I think it's going to force his hand. I think he wanted to give it another year, another opportunity because he does respect these guys. He likes these guys. But I think this was probably the last straw for a lot of them, if I had to guess. Yeah, you have to be able to look these guys in the face and be like, come on, this wasn't good. Like, you you know you did a bad job. Like, it's, it's over for you. And, you know, as, you know, like I said, this is a, this is a huge offseason for Ryan Day and kind of the direction of this program. And it feels, it feels kind of crazy to say that based on a loss to the number five team in the country. But this is going to be, you know, regardless of what Ryan Day does from here on out, this is a big stain on his, on his reputation as Ohio State's head coach. You lost to Michigan. Like, Urban Meyer didn't do this once in his entire tenure here. Like, this is, this is a big deal. 
And I know this is a really good Michigan team, and you know you play them on the road in cold weather and all that. But at the end of the day, there's a W in the, in the rivalry column now for Michigan this year, and that's a, that's a huge deal in Columbus. And you know it, it kept you out of the playoff, it kept you out of the Big Ten title, and this is a, this is one of the bigger losses Ohio State's had in a while. And I know that. You know, like uh, you're losing to Oregon in, in the non-conference, who cares? Like losing to Alabama in the national title, who cares? Like those things happen. It's not a big deal. Losing to Michigan is something that hasn't happened in Columbus. I mean, in, in this rivalry in a long time. And now it's happened. And now you have to you have to respond to it. You have to be able to make changes and you have to you have to make serious changes. You can't just, you know, change one guy and call it a day like you can't you cannot trot out there next year with this same defensive coaching staff and expect different results. It's not going to happen. And you're going to continue to to waste some of this talent you have on both sides of the ball if you do that. And I think that it's very important to get some real coaches in there. Um, it's kind of funny, you know, Ohio State fans, a, a large sector of them could be pretty annoying about asking for guys to get fired. But it seems like they're they're generally right on the guys that they want out. You know, you look at a guy like like Tim Beck, who they want out on offense. He's gone multiple other places and been terrible in all of them. You look at a guy like Alex Grinch, who they ran out of town. He's been terrible at Oklahoma. It seems like they're they're generally on the nose about some of these these assistant coaches. And I, I feel like the large, you know, the majority, like you said, no one no one's coming after this this group of Ohio State assistants. The only guy they're going to come after is Brian Harline, and he's going to say no. So. Um, yeah, it's it's a big offseason for Ryan Day, and it's it's something that he's going to have to really sit down and decide what what he wants. Does he want to just you know be buddy buddy with a bunch of guys on this team and and continue to to not win a title, or does he want to take his team to the next level and and have them seriously compete for a national title? And that's he's gonna only going to be able to do that by hiring a real coaching staff, and he's going to have to derelict. Like he, I know he wants to be kind of like the the guy on Ohio State's staff, but you need. You're not the defense guy. Like you need a guy on defense with you, like you said, and you need to kind of swallow some of that pride and say, you know, I need help on the defensive side, and you need to go out and and find that help. Gene, while we're on coaches, and I don't know if you have anything else to talk about Ohio State, but since we're on the topic, what did you think of Jim Harbaugh's comments after the game yesterday? Me personally, um, his team earned a victory. They took it to Ohio State. I think there's a real chance, and I you hear me whispering a little bit. I think that they can make it to a championship game or maybe win it, which makes me physically ill to think about. But for him to kind of throw shade at Ryan Day yesterday, um, I won't say it's out of line. That's what you do in rivalries. But dude, like you can't be one in five against your rival. You can't be three and four to your little brother in East Lansing. And then say, oh, you know, some people are, are born on third base and think that they, they hit a triple. Um, I, I didn't like that. I think it'll add some spice to the rivalry. But I think you're just you're not in that position, man. Like you've been uh, sort of a failure um, during your tenure here. Like they they brought you in to win championships every year. And this is the first time that you even have an opportunity to potentially go play in a college football playoff. So that comment kind of rubbed me the wrong way. You know, I don't know how much I can argue with it. Ryan Day did inherit a lot, but for somebody who just earned their first victory in five tries, you know, I think he had a problem with Ryan Day saying, let's hang a hundred. Well, he said that last year and then you ducked the game. So I I think throwing shade at, at your guy across the field there, I don't want to say it was in poor taste because, like I said, that's what you do in a rivalry. But I, I think you got to pick your battles, man. Like one in five is not impressive. 
Yeah, I don't know. For one, I'm glad he did it because, like you said, I, I'm sure that Ryan Day will remember that in the future, and it'll only add to this rivalry moving forward. So I think it's 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 funny that he did it, and it'll I'm surely it's something that Ryan Day has heard and will will take take a note on, take a mental note on. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I you know I don't like Jim Harbaugh, but I, I think they you know they earned all the shit talk that they want to do. You know, they they did it. They they went out, they beat Ohio State, and they beat them convincingly. And I think that they earned, you know, anything that they want to say after the game, I think they earned it. And like like they said, you know, it was last year that Ohio State was saying all the things that they said, but, you know, they that was the, this is the first time they played since then. And Michigan clearly took a lot of those things to heart and they used it as motivation. And then they went out and won the game. So I think, you know, as, you know, Jim Harbaugh's one and five against Ohio State. It is what it is. But at the end of the day, if you beat your rival and you go out there and you do it convincingly, I think you get to, you know, say whatever you want to say. And Ohio State just kind of has to sit there and take it. You know, you lost the game. You got dominated and you got to, you know, you got to live with the results afterwards. So as much as it sucks and as much as, you know, maybe Jim Harbaugh isn't the guy that should be saying some of those things, I think that they, at the end of the day, they earned it. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone can argue with that. There was nothing fluky about this game. Oh, Michigan had their way and they earned it. And that's why I think <clears throat> I, I still don't think it's an explosive team. And maybe this is our transition into the playoff talk and stuff like that. I don't think Michigan is an explosive offense. I think that they ran the ball really well against a really poor run defense, but they've sort of done it throughout the season. Depending on the matchups, I think Michigan now is a real contender. And I hate, I hate, I hate to say that but they've got a strong running game and a very strong defense. And just inside the Big Ten, I think that Wisconsin could have given them a game or beaten them. I think Wisconsin was playing really well and they tripped up against Minnesota. I I think they're going to run all over Iowa, literally and figuratively. I think that Iowa sucks, man. Like they're not a good football team. They eked one out against Nebraska, which I know everyone ekes it out against Nebraska, but I don't think they stand a chance in Indianapolis. Do you? Uh, I don't. I think we might do like a, you know, in obviously Ohio State won't be playing this week. So maybe we'll do kind of like a, a conference title game preview this week. Um, so we'll, we'll get more into that then if we do that. But yeah, I think that, you know, this is a, this is a good Michigan team for what it's worth. Um, I, I don't, I still, you know, I went into Saturday thinking nobody could beat Georgia and I, I go, come out of Saturday still thinking the same thing. I think, you know, Georgia's 10 national title odds have only improved now that Ohio state's not going to be in the field. Uh, I, you know, Alabama didn't show me anything yesterday that they're, they're the capabilities to beat that, that Georgia team. So, you know, at the end of the day, I still think that, you know, Georgia went from winning the national title to winning the national title yesterday. Um, I think their road might've gotten a bit easier. I do think they match up, you know, I think they match up pretty well with Michigan, just bearing the fact that Michigan's a, a power run team and Georgia's front seven is basically playing in the NFL already. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. That'll probably, it'll be like a nine to three national title game if that's what happens. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I still think Georgia is, is the, you know, the, they're going to be the betting favorite. That's not even really worth money, like putting it on them. Like their odds are so high at this point, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think Michigan is good, and I think that they, you know, they're they're going to win the Big Ten. I don't see Iowa putting up much of a fight. Iowa's not very good, um, and yeah, you know, we'll see what happens in the playoff. But I think that that's stuff that we could uh, we could discuss later on in the week uh, further. Fair enough, man. I, I think it's nail in the coffin time. You got anything else for this game? Nope. Uh, it sucks that Ohio State won't be in Indy. This is, you know, since since I've been since I was a student at Ohio State, this is the first time that. Well, actually, no, it's the second time they had that uh, the Michigan State year, but. Uh, I think this is Michigan's first ever trip to Indianapolis, if I'm not mistaken. I think I, I, Iowa has been there before. Iowa was in that uh, Michigan State game, so they've been there one other time. But yeah, first first time for Michigan and Indy. We'll see how they handle it. It would be 
Um, kind of ironic if they lost to Iowa, but I don't I don't really see that happening. And you know, we'll talk about that later on the week. But I think that we could kind of close the book on the the Ohio State regular season. Uh, not not the ending that they would have liked, not the ending that we would have liked, but. You know, we 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 saw the writing on the wall. We knew what their the, the shortcomings of this team were, and they all kind of they all everything that could have gone wrong for us, they went wrong in that game. That the penalties, the defense playing poorly, the offense not calling the the, the best game they could call. Um, it was just it all added up to to Michigan ending the streak, and it was something that you know I think a lot of people were kind of in see it to believe it mode. I know I was, and that's like, you know, why I wasn't really, I was worried about the game. I knew Michigan was a good team, but I didn't really think that they had a chance to win that game, but they, they came out and did it. And like we've said numerous times, like it wasn't a fluky thing. It wasn't one of these things where Ohio state really beat itself. And, you know, Ohio state could have played better, but I think at the end of the day, Michigan was just the better team in that game on that day. And that's, that's really all that matters. Yeah, it's gosh, I'll say it again. It's just a real bummer. Uh, I think about the fact that I, I, the wide receiver room especially is loaded and it's, and it's going to be great for years to come, hopefully. But I, I don't know that we'll ever see another trio of Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba on the field at the same time. So it sucks. That, I don't, I don't uh, think we'll even see it again this year. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to uh, argue with you on that one. I think that's a very real possibility, but you know, it, it sucks that we're not going to see that again. I think it, I think it sucks for all of the the seniors or the juniors who are going to leave with a bad taste in their mouth. Um, Cause you know, Garrett Wilson's one of those guys. I think he's gone. And um, to end this the way it, it three years in a row, really, you know um, I, I think they kind of got hosed a little bit against Clemson two years ago, but that loss was rough. Then you got demoralized by Alabama and then you, you get demoralized again by your biggest rivalry to end that end, end your season that way three years in a row. I think it's really tough. And it's just, uh, you know, it's unfortunate for those guys who are going to be leaving. I don't think the sky is falling by any means. I think Ohio State's going to be awesome next year and this, that, and the other. But I think the thing that was most upsetting and like most disappointing to me is I still think Ohio State could beat anybody. They're not going to get the opportunity, but I think that this offense especially could have scored more points than in, than their opponent in any given game. I think that, you know, had they played a Georgia, huge challenge. I think Alabama is not what they have been, but they're they're very balanced and they're very good on both sides of the ball. But I still think Ohio State could have outscored anybody. They just didn't do it yesterday. And they played a really poor game defensively. And you add those two things together and it's the end of the season. So it's always worse to like think that you have a team or that we have a team that can win it all. And I, I don't like saying we or us, but you get emotionally invested, right? Um, to have a team that you root for and you think is capable of winning it all and for them to lose like this to their rival, that's the hardest pill to swallow for me it's going to sting for a while um you know and we're going to have to watch some more football that doesn't involve the Buckeyes unless just absolute uh you know unless hell freezes over and absolute chaos breaks out I, I would say I, I've been reading things from certain people you know there's like a five percent chance Ohio State can still make it of course I would love chaos but um I'm rooting for 
Iowa. I'm rooting for Georgia. I'm rooting for Houston. I, I don't want anyone to win. I want them to cancel the the rest of the college football season now that my team's out of it. Yeah, it is. It is kind of funny. Like this is the I, I saw a tweet. This is the first year that um, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Clemson. I think the, I think those three teams, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Clemson, have won their respective conferences like 15 of the last 16 opportunities for that to happen. So like this is the first time none of those three teams can win it, and then you know we don't think Alabama's going to win the SEC title game. So there's a chance that you're getting you know you're getting a playoff without Ohio State, without Alabama, without Oklahoma, without Clemson, and so that's you know something coming to the season you don't expect. And I guess that is kind of a, a part of the fun chaos here, but it does suck for Ohio State, like you said, all the guys that have maybe played their last game. Um, before we go away, I'm just going to say this and make a note of this: Garrett Wilson, please don't come back. Like I, I love you. Just go make that money, kid. Like, you should be the top pick in the NFL draft. You and Chris Olave should both be playing on Sundays next year. You know, Olave came back to try to exercise some of those demons, but I think even he should have been playing on Sundays this year instead of, you know, playing for free in Columbus. So go go get that money. Go go be studs in the NFL. There's no reason to come back. You know, they, I, I'm going to miss them, obviously. I, I would want them to come back if it didn't mean, you know, giving up a, a year in the NFL, but they're they're good enough to go play right now. They're good enough to play already this year, so... Uh, hats off to those guys. We'll see if they decide to play in their bowl game. That's all stuff we will get to at a later time. Yeah, I think that about wraps it up here. Uh, yeah, so be sure to, to see what else we got coming here at Land Grant Holland. We'll probably pivot to a little uh, to a little basketball here coming up, but there is still college football to be discussed. Um, so yeah, be sure to follow all of our content at Land Grant Holy Land. Uh, be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff on the podcast. We'll still be coming back here. I don't know if we'll, it'll still be, you know, twice a week. We'll see what we do here in the off season as, as things kind of cool down in, in college football, but nonetheless, we'll be back probably this week to do a little bit of a conference title game talk and, and other playoff talk and things of the like. So for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross. And, you know, even on days like this, as always go Bucks. <laughs>